Welcome back to Batarang, the podcast where we bring you the Batman insights that others are too superstitious and cowardly to deliver. We're reviewing Batman the Animated Series. This week, the show does its best Rashomon impression, and Montoya and Batman get nuts with construction equipment. Turn in your badge and weapon because it's Season 1, Episode 7, POV. Plus, we open up Detective Bullock and see what makes him tick here on Batarang. <laughs> And we're back. So, here we go. We watched POV. Uh, I am Sam, your host. With me is your other host, Brandon. The answer to the earlier question is just just donuts. It's donuts what makes what makes Bullock tick. Well, we did learn that in detail twice in Pretty Poison. That's true. He's all about donuts. Uh, but hopefully there'll be a little more to the interview than that because I have questions about Bullock. Good. I'm excited to to plunge into this. This actually pretty rich backstory. I've got surprises for you. Ooh, I'm excited to hear it. I'm excited to hear it. So, uh, but back to the episode at hand. As I said in the intro, this is basically the Rashomon episode of Batman the Animated Series, where you're getting the same story told from three different perspectives. Yes. The I think the major difference and what interests me, and we'll get more into this, right? But... Um, Bullock's, you hear him actually uh, trying to make himself look better, and then what you're seeing on screen, presumably what actually happened, uh, refutes that, right? Uh, Whereas there's the rookie cop who says what he saw, we just know better because we're smarter than cartoon characters. Um, Which I think Rashomon is always like 100% showing you what what the characters are telling you, and I thought that was a fun little little play. And if you're saying to yourself, what's Rashomon? I haven't seen Rashomon. It's on the Criterion Collection, so you know it's good. <laughs> go get it. It is good. I would go as far as to say it is excellent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the... I'm wondering, so people, like, I'm not the first person that compared this episode to Rashomon, right? right. Everyone has to, every series has to have a, a Rashomon episode. Right. It's, it's very common. And what Brandon said about it is right, that it, it, it doesn't do exactly what Rashomon does. And I kind of wonder, would it have been more interesting if it did actually do what Rashomon does and show you three completely irreconcilable tellings of the same event? Or do you think it would have been better? Or, or do you think it's good the way they did it? Because, again, you have an audience of 9 and 10-year-olds watching this. Right. And you want them to be able to understand the story. Yeah, I, mean, I think maybe we should do a quick breakdown of the story to to give a little context of what, what that looks like. Sure. So, this starts off with... <laughs> oh. Yes. Our 22-second summary. <clears throat> You're not five seconds into your penalty time. Shit. <laughs> Then I'll read it back. I'll start start over. And go. Gotham's finest botch a drug sting and Batman saves their asses. 
We see their tense debrief where Bullock, Montoya, and her rookie partner tell the events from their POV. When their stories don't match, they're suspended. Montoya tracks the crooks to their hideout where she and Batman mop them up using heavy equipment. Excellent. Right. 19 and change. Sweet. Uh, okay. Uh, you can start whenever you want. So I don't think the GCPD knows what a sting operation is, but anyway, the building's on fire, and Internal Affairs gets involved, and uh, Montoya, for some reason, knows how to operate. I know we're really harping on the heavy machinery thing, but where did she learn to operate a crane? If it's that easy, couldn't anyone just get that job? Time. Yeah, I think people in cartoons just know how to operate heavy machinery. <laughs> right? You just take it as a first-level feat when when you're drawn. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think that's it. So, yeah, the episode was good. Yeah. We focus on the three officers. Batman is, for the first half, more of a supporting character, and then he takes kind of like the center stage in the second half. Yeah, for... So, like you said earlier, I don't know if um, if it had been more like Rashomon or less, it would have been better or worse. This does kind of feel like two episodes kind of mashed together, right? Um, because, yeah, the first half of the episode is um, this presumably internal affairs guy um, investigating, you know, our, our GCPD heroes. Heroes. Um, and then the second half is um, shenanigans on on the docks. Yeah. Right. So I feel like it could have done more or less, but it that is one thing about this episode that doesn't land with me is that I mean yeah, and that's pretty much like the whole shtick of it, right? Is yeah, it's kind of a two act structure that ends up feeling very weird. Yeah. I think it would have been better to situate it 100% in the in the interrogation room. Mm-hmm. Like, not, don't even have the... So there's a first scene where Montoya and her partner... Do you remember the guy's name? Uh, Wilkes? Wilkes. Where Montoya and Wilkes are rushing to the scene of a police operation. Yeah. Not, not, that's not what a... So they keep calling it a sting, but, like, it's more of a trap, right? Because a sting is, like... This is entrapment, right? Because this thing is like free boat, and then people show up, and you're like, "Just kidding!" There's an arrest warrant for you, right? Right. Whereas, whereas this is just like, like they, they just know something's going down, so they're there, right? I mean, maybe they have like it. Maybe there's an undercover person that's not in the episode that like set this up. Yeah, it's just that there we the police put two million dollars in this safe on the wharf. Uh, it's in a building on the wharf, and it's not just like. <laughs> two mil, a cool two mil on the boardwalk. But they all say like it's. They say it's drug dealers, right? But all they're doing is taking money out of a safe. Yeah. So that's not. I mean, granted, that's not what the episode's about. It just bugged me that they kept saying sting operation. When I'm like, that's not. I've watched enough Brooklyn Nine Nine to know that's not what this is. Yeah. I mean, it would have been really cool if they had told the entire story of a sting operation beginning to end from three different perspectives. Yeah, but that's but, not what they did. But then that also would have would have meant they would have to do a classic film reference to you know Paul Newman in The Sting, and we can only have one classic movie per Batman episode. 
Uh, I don't think they would have had to have done Paul Newman in the stand. Absolutely would have had to. Please let me use my film degree. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to argue that the sting is not actually about a sting. <laughs> I mean, you're completely right about that, too. <laughs> no one knows what a sting is. That's what we're discovering. It also stars Sting. Right. Oh, God, wouldn't... Oh, I wish. Much like the, Much like uh, the David Lynch Dune, yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, anyway... Uh, back to the the matter at hand, the even though they start with this botched drug sting, we'll keep we'll use their yeah. words. Um, they show up, uh, Montoya and Wilkes do, and Bullock is unconscious outside. Right, but he's like gradually regaining consciousness. He tells him that there's more perpetrators inside this warehouse, which is on fire, which is on turbo fire, like it is. And Montoya and Wilkes, or Montoya anyway, goes inside a burning building to carry out justice, question mark? I mean, so she and Wilkes already both had their shotguns. Um, and then they split up gang. So he goes after the ones who, uh, the gangsters who ran away. She goes in to, yeah, presume, I mean, arrest the others. You, like, you wait for them to come out of a burning building, right? You know they're coming out. And you don't go in alone. That's for... I, whether or not it's burning... Like, no... Again, no... Every part of this is... They're idiots. Yeah. Watching this... Yeah, and that didn't come up in the interrogation either. Right. But, like, watching this um, for the first time in a long time, when Bullock says, there's more inside... I thought Montoya was going in to rescue people. Right. Because that's why you go into a burning building. Yep. Uh, but no, shotgun rescue. Yes, it was to to, to arrest <clears throat> drug dealers or something. You know, then we we cut back and the IA basically accuses you know, Bullock Montoya, ginger rookie. Um, I'm not like nervous that his name isn't Wilkes, but I don't doesn't matter. Um, he's Wilkes now. Don't worry. He's okay. Um, and he accuses them of being on the take, taking bribes, tipping these guys off, whatever. Something I want to point out. So this episode was directed by Kevin Altieri, who is one of the, like, one of the best directors to work on the series, right? And what I love about, um, about, like, the interrogation room is that it is a void. Yes. Right? Like, there are these three chairs, and Bullock, Montoya, Wilkes, they're lined up basically like children under these spotlights, while the IA guy in his snazzy red vest uh, paces up and down and yells at them. Gordon's behind um, a desk, basically ineffectually telling this other guy to back off. Um, and it, it pushes this idea even further than like Rashomon does, right? Like where, where the uh, testimonies happen in Rashomon, like it's in sort of an empty courtyard, right? So there's like a wall in the background and the sky so it's largely divorced from reality. This one, even more so. There appears to be, like, no walls, right? So then when you have these moments where, um, when, and not to jump ahead, but when Montoya is about to give her account, the internal affairs guy is painted on as part of the background, right? So it sort of, um, so it sort of looks like a matte painting in front of her as she's, like, looking around him trying to, like, protest. Um, so there are a couple places where these, like, gorgeous details end up getting used in the background. Yeah, uh, I love the those stylistic details, too. 
the kind of opening shot of the interrogation is like the spotlight going on uh, and you can only see white. Then uh, you see, like Brandon said, these officers in a void. Um, there's also, like, in addition to the way that the, uh, that the lieutenant is painted, you also have the thugs right. in the warehouse scenes and the dock scenes, and they are, like, so hard-boiled looking. Yeah. Like, they look like pop art from the 40s, uh, like Dick Tracy comics, like, um, and some <clears throat> of the shots are, like, really, really detailed, like, more detailed than most Batman the Animated Series characters. Right, yeah. Sometimes it's just that the character in general is painted, it's a close-up and he's talking, so then just the mouth is moving, and you have very moody light on, on like, the crags of their faces and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. It looks so good. Yeah. Um, the lighting details in generally, general in this episode are good. Yeah. They're not some of them, they're not the most striking that we've seen uh, with, like, tons of black and white because of, like, the relief. Although there is a nice scene at the end where they're walking, they're perp walking them into the uh, the van, and there's a police siren going off. So there's red light flashing, which is just showing off, right? Like they didn't have to go that hard. Um, uh, but that's why I love this show so much. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, Batman surrounded by fire, right? It washes out his color, so he looks kind of like he's in black and white, mm-hmm. um, and it feels very much like looking at. Um, David Mazzuchelli's uh, pencils and Lynn Barley's colors on Batman Year One. It looks great. Uh, the kind of like the red cherry top they have flashing is not only painting the vehicle red, but every single crook who's walking up this ramp has a red glow on their left shoulder that goes on and off, uh, and it just looks super cool. Yeah. Uh, so. These three officers have three different retellings. Bullock is the one that's lying. Right. Because he made some big mistakes going in and was rescued by Batman, who he hates. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, is that the the lieutenant is correct. Bullock is lying, but not because he... Not because he's a crooked cop. Um, that never gets confirmed or denied conclusively in the series. Um, he doesn't behave like a crooked cop in this episode. No, he's just kind of an idiot. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Um, and his and he contests. And I feel like this never really gets reconciled very well. Um, he just keeps saying that Montoya was late right. getting there. Right. Um which she has to then sort of navigate. It's like, like, no, I'm not not calling Harvey a liar. It's right. Um, and then how's her? Her account was much more along the lines of like, when we got there, the place was already on fire, and I went in, and there's a bunch of dudes. Um, they knocked the shotgun out of her hand. Uh, she pretty much a oh, Batman comes in and and rescues her. Right, yeah, yeah. She make that's right. She makes that comment about Batman pushes her out of the way from a falling, burning beam. Yeah, which definitely wouldn't have killed him. Yeah, yeah. Getting into her body on early, yeah, would have died. Oh, after being struck by that pile of burning wreckage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, like he doesn't dodge it. Like he really just gets buried in, like, like a bonfire. Yeah. Um. And then uh, Wilkes' account uh, 
basically just loops back around to uh, immediately before Batman saves Montoya, um, and he like deals with you know the thugs outside. And the details I alluded to earlier are uh, Batman's various weapons, like you know shuriken or or whatever else, um, or he has a, like a turbo taser like it just blows a, a door off a car right and I, I don't get I don't get how any of that works <laughs> it's just rule of cool um so yeah we know that it's not just that Batman points at people and they start bleeding but that's more or less what what officer Wilkes and that's why he never makes detective is he never says to himself maybe those sparks or caltrops or literally anything that isn't a superpower um Bless his, bless his ginger heart. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a world with Superman, but not, <clears throat> but I don't think this version of Gotham actually is a world with Superman. Right. Since that series hadn't started yet, it's, we've mentioned this before, it's this weird sort of liminal space of like how many superheroes are there in the wider world. Um, and it's something you see in Batman's stuff a lot, right? Like when it's, when it hits harder for Batman to be basically the only person doing this, he is. Yeah. The, I mean, the episode in general, in a lot of these early episodes, are just like hard-boiled pulp yeah. detective stories that are played completely straight. Yeah. Like, if this had been, uh, like, if you swapped out Batman for Slam Bradley, it wouldn't be that different. Yeah. It just wouldn't have ninja weapons. It would just have a gun. Right. So, um, yeah, which, which would be fine. So, uh, Bullock, like we said before, does totally fuck up. Yep. He lies several times in his retelling, and we know that he's lying because we see the real version happening. We, we see we see him drop his gun um, after tripping on a paint can. Yep. Um, and then blame Batman. And then... <laughs> he's not there yet. Well, yeah. Renowned loud walker Batman. Uh-huh. Um... One of the, the thugs steps on Bullock's gun. Bullock has has the chutzpah to look up and say, you're under arrest. You're right. <laughs> like, you know what? Good for you, Harvey. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, after he makes those few mistakes at the beginning, mm-hmm. he comports himself pretty well until he needs to get rescued by Batman. Yeah. Like, he, he fights, like, six dudes. He doesn't... You know, try to run away or bargain or uh, or anything. He, you know, I'm here to arrest you. Let's let's fucking do this, <laughs> right. and, he, and he does. Uh, which pretty much takes us um, up to the end of of the interrogation section, right? And as as you mentioned in the intro, the lieutenant demands that uh, the three officers turn over two officers and a detective turn over their badges and guns, right? Which is you know, a touchstone in police drama. Right, yeah. Once you turn on your badge and gun, you can actually solve the crime. Yeah. Which Montoya then does. Yes. (laughs) Um, Let's get into that for a second, because, I mean, part of it is that a couple details get mentioned, and she's on, on like, the train home, and she's like, oh, wait, those half-said things, that's what, it was like this, you know, uh, doc, right? They're like, Doc Who? I'm like, oh my the, god. 
the dark oh where God. all crime happens. <laughs> a where all crime happens. B where the episode started. Uh-huh. Like no one said. Like maybe it's not like Bugs Bunny says. Maybe it's Doc with a K. Right. It's not like Doc Rivers is here to pick up that drug money. <laughs> Doc Harbor Bay. Um, yeah. So oh Jesus. Okay. So just like a brief aside. It actually kind of surprised me that, like, Montoya is in uniform riding the subway. Why's that? I mean, I feel like I never see police riding the subway. I feel like it is very, like, they, they get to drive home in their squad cars. Like, that is a thing that's fairly standard. Do you think it's because she was suspended? That's what I wonder, right? And, like, if... I guess what I'm saying is... If there had been a scene where, like, she got accosted by some, like, you know, goons. I guess you're a goon once you have a job. Thugs. Um, Like, I wouldn't have... That would have felt, you know, in place for me. Like, if she's on the subway with these these thugs and they're, like... They attack her. Yeah, or, like, you know, catcall her or something. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Gotham is pretty crime-ridden and full of scumbags. Right, yes. Um, so yeah, that just kind of surprised me. I feel like I very rarely see that in fiction or real life. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's see. Um, what else? Uh, I think I've talked about most of this. Talked about that. Uh, so she gets off the subway and on foot goes to the Hathcock uh, warehouse at the docks. Yep. Yep. Or Hatchcock. Hatchcock. Yeah. Um, right. Again, narrowly dodging another classic film reference. So mm. good job, Kevin Altieri and uh-huh. Paul Dini. <laughs> uh, and indeed, there is a Batman dismembering about to happen or something. Or no, they're going to sell him to the highest bidder, I guess. Right. He's currently suspended from the ceiling by a rope. Right, which by is, the wrist, just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, his his hands are tied together, and that rope is tied to a beam or something, and he's hanging there, uh, looking like he's fine and could do it all day because he is. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, not everyone can use a little help sometimes, which is good. Then that Renee shows up. Although Renee doesn't need help, she doesn't look for a payphone to just call, you know, people who aren't suspended, who still have their guns. Right. Or, like, maybe she should have kept a radio. Literally anything. Yeah. Yeah. This is a situation where you definitely call for backup. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Batman is just waiting to figure out which one of these people is the boss of the thugs so he can spring into action. Yep, and being the world's greatest detective, he surmises that it is the one with the monocle. Because as you know, your contemporary urban drug dealer usually wears a monocle. Indeed. It also helps that the thug that is, you know, trash-talking Batman identifies his boss to Batman. Yep. It's that guy right up there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Batman just gives, you know, uh, that's... All I wanted to know. And then he 
pops a little what well, looks like a scalpel out of his glove. Is is um and it's just a pocket knife basically, yeah. Because yeah. it had like a little bit of teeth on it. And he cuts the rope, comes down, and then with his wrists bound, proceeds to kick the crap out of th- about three bad guys. At least. So as you already alluded to, the rest of the episode gets much more cartoony, right? Mm-hmm. Much more Looney Tunes. Yep. Um, and I wonder if there wasn't a draft of the script where it just went whole hog, Rashomon, and then they said, this is a children's cartoon. Can you please put in? And don't get me wrong, like, it is a well-constructed action sequence. Um, but that said... Um, I know that because I've read like Paul Dini say that there were a couple times he had scripts rejected because it was too um, heady for, you know, the after school block. So there's a new Batman series coming out, a continuation of the animated series. And I, I feel like there's a few ways that could go. And one of them is, you know, making it like Dark Knight Returns Mm -hmm. because it's not going to be for kids, I don't think. Um, At least I don't think. It's yeah. going to be on HBO Max. The, the standards and practices are relaxed. Um, J.J. Abrams is attached. It could, it could no, be anything. No, he's not, is he? Look, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Sorry. But another thing that could happen, and now, I, now I'm sure it won't. <laughs> Sorry to throw you entirely off your game. <laughs> is that they could do more episodes that are uh, complicated storytelling instead. Like, yeah. like this episode could have been. And it is com- it's sophisticated for what it is, but not as sophisticated as it, as it could have been. So it is... Um, so this one is all new. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's not... Yeah, it's just it's a whole new series, but it's Bruce, Tim, and J.J. Abrams, and it will also be on Cartoon Network. So God only knows what this is going to end up looking like. Um, oh, it's also going to be on Cartoon Network. That's what that's what I'm seeing here. Huh. Um, I mean, that said, they you know, for those of you out here who who are just here to listen to us tell you how good the show you already like is, which is why I listen to some podcasts I do. Um, they have done a digital first comic series, um, I think with Ty Templeton. Um, that is just like what season what five, four or five, whatever, would have been, um, maybe. And it's pretty good. Uh, they start doing Red Hood stuff, which is... Anyway, point being, this cartoon gets more cartoony at this point. Yeah. And probably because they, like, guys, this is an action figure show. Can you please have them do action things? Yeah. So... So basically the rest of the episode is a madcap fight down by the docks with, as we said before, uh, Rene Montoya grabbing a crane, operating it to pick up a thug, dropping a giant pallet of, of steel or something onto the docks and smashing through it. Batman gets a, uh, a front loader up to what looks like 50 miles an hour and launches it off the pier into the side of a departing boat, banging a huge hole in the side of it and sinking the ship as it's, the drug dealers try to get away. Yeah, that part is unabashedly awesome. It was so rad. <laughs> it was so cool. Um, a thug keeps getting knocked down to the, in the water, um, much as what happens in Kurosawa's first film. 
Yep. Uh, and we get to watch this guy climbing up the ladder of the dock and like water dripping off of him. And like he's so. I think, it, it, is it the guy that had the drill before? It is the guy who had the drill. Yeah, so this yeah. is the most detailed thug. Right. He has the drill. The detail on him and the drill are, are higher than the others. It looks super cool. He is like this ugly son of a bitch. <laughs> and like, I just love seeing him. And it's great every time he's climbing out of the water. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing is that like even when this you know violence gets played for laughs, it is actually funny. Yeah. Um, and then you know Gordon shows up. Uh, the IA lieutenant is there. Gordon is like, "Hey IA guy, you suck!" And he just takes uh, the badges back and like says to Montoya like, "Hey, you're back on the force." And she's like, "It was a team effort." Which it absolutely was not. And then she hands Bullock and, and Wilkes their badges back. Well, I think... So, Montoya's being very gracious here, right? Yes. In as far as it was a team effort, I think each of these characters gathered a little bit of the information that was needed to solve to solve the crime. They all put themselves in super danger. Yeah. And almost died. So, uh, it, was kind, it was kind of a team effort, but Montoya was clearly the mvp of that team okay since i've already gone out on this on this limb i'm just going to double down on it and say yes but what if on the train ride home she just said hey look the docks you know where crime usually happens but that's not what happened (laughs) she was puzzling out the clues wonder why the batmobile is parked over there hmm Yes, if the episode was different, it would have been even less of a team effort than it is. But yes, a more a more fair and accurate way of putting it is Montoya's being being a real uh, mensch about it. Right. So, excellent. I'm excited to get into the body count for this episode. Oh yeah, there's there's definitely several. Starting with Batman. Yes. So as we said, a, a full ass uh, warehouse beam gets dropped on him from let's say approximately 50 feet up. Probably. It's on fire, which does a little extra damage. Well, also, you're pinned under burning wreckage. Right. Like, that must have been, like, 2,000-degree, like, fire. Yeah. So, so dead. Yep. Yep. Um, and then, as we mentioned earlier, boxes and pallets get dropped on people. And let's... I mean, because I was thinking about it this morning. Let's say, like... Like, let's say you're in prison and you want to hurt someone real bad. You just drop a weight on their foot. Oh, right? jeez. <laughs> um, and that's 45 pounds tops, right? Let's say each of those boxes that apparently needs a crane to move, um, all of them, let's say each one is 100 pounds, which is, again, very light for what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Then we're already talking 600 pounds being dropped on, on someone. Yeah, so the boxes don't actually hit them. They land on the pier, and then they fall through, and it just kind of ruins their momentum. Yeah. But, like, Montoya was definitely dropping it onto them and, like, basically committing attempted murder by in the process. Right? Yeah. That, that was a kill shot on those oh, three guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they just got tremendously lucky. Uh, even before that, though... Batman dropping on a couple guys, like like you said, when he when he saws himself out of the ropes and he falls down. So I think usually his height is listed at somewhere like 6'3", 6'4". Uh-huh. And I think 
So his weight is something like 220. Yeah, he's in the low 200s for sure. <laughs> right. So, yikes. Yeah. Like, they're done. Yeah. Like, dudes falling on each other in cartoons usually inflict no damage. Right. But, obviously, in the, re- in the real world, you don't want somebody from 30 feet up dropping on you. Right. Yeah. The cape is not going to kill that much momentum that it doesn't wreck your shit. Right. Especially when he doesn't appear to be trying to stall his momentum in any way. Uh, nope. He was in it for a penny, in it for a pound. <laughs> 220 FBS pounds. Um, One of the things that I want to call out for the body count is when Batman uh, runs that that front loader into the ship. Those two engineers down there? Yeah. Like, a sh- you think, oh, it's the ship that the drug dealers are escaping on. And it is. But it's, it's not only drug dealers on that ship. That's not how ships work. Right. Like, there's a crew on that ship... <laughs> Which Batman sinks. Yep. Yeah, it goes directly into the engine room. These two guys are minding their own business, eating a sandwich or something. And uh, they're just like, oh, I wonder what this forklift is doing in here. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've never looked up the German forklift safety video, that internet classic, um, they left out, like, don't drive a forklift into a, a tanker ship. Um, if they had had, maybe those lives would have been saved. Perhaps. Though, in fairness, if you actually drove a forklift at top speed off of a pier, it would fall into the water about two feet away from the pier. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But Batman knows the tricks. Right, exactly. So, that's uh, all I wanted to say about this episode. Do you have anything else? Should we go to the interview? Let's, uh, yeah, let's go to to the Harvey shenanigans. Because, yeah, I think it's pretty much like, again, a lot of stuff of, like, that's not how internal affairs works that's not how like whatever 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. who cares right it's just storytelling and contrivances yeah so uh first of all interesting that harvey bullock and harvey dent are both called harvey that confused the hell out of me as a kid yeah um i mean that's not really an interview question it's just like that's weird it is it's um it's a real why'd you say that name moment no. yeah it's like the person that invented harvey bullock just why is the name Harvey in my head? I don't know. That's the name of this detective. Here. Yeah. Uh, although his his surname comes from uh, Hiram Bullock, the funk guitarist. Oh, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess that's a way to bring me around to my actual question, which is when and how was Detective Bullock first introduced? Um, so that's actually apparently a little contested um, over like who exactly... Um, uh, created him I, you can double check the Wikipedia article if you want to at me on this just don't at me but um, Doug Mensch came up with him uh, in like 74 and someone's like isn't there already a Lieutenant Bullock why do you have a Detective Bullock and he's like I don't know he got promoted leave me alone <laughs> um, nerds uh, part of the, like the contesting around this was um, another one of like two collaborators might have come up with him together and the other guy was like look he's dead I'm not gonna sue his widow like I'm friends with her like it is not worth the money um cause if you don't know like royalties for that sort of thing not generally not worth going to court over uh uh-huh. um that's why you know a couple of years ago there was a, a GoFundMe for um medical bills for the guy who created Rocket Raccoon. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, horrifying. Horrifying on many dimensions. Yes. 
Um, the least of which is that I had to say the word, had to say Rocket Raccoon out loud again. Um, oh, he's a funny old dude. So anyway, um, so this is uh, pre-crisis, right? And if you don't know what that means, we're not getting into that today. We don't have, this season does not have the time. Um, but yeah, 74, uh, Bullock is just kind of an asshole. He's ki- kind of corrupt. Um, he's trying to sabotage Commissioner Gordon's career. Um, and his way of doing that is um, is basically being so clumsy, he screws up all of Gordon's plans. Why is he trying to sabotage Gordon's career? Because he's corrupt, I guess. All right. A little bit. Um, and Gordon, Gordon isn't big on police brutality. And this is, you know, the 70s when DC especially started getting, like, a little socially conscious. Mm-hmm. Um... That would do more so in like the late seventies into the eighties, especially when uh, Denny O'Neill was doing a lot of their writing. But anyway, um, anyway, Bullock was so nasty um, and gave Gordon so much stress. Poor Gordo had a heart attack, and after that, Harvey was like, "You know, I'm gonna knock this off." Um, and then he's just like kind of a jerk. Um, he becomes, like, friends with Robin, and they bond over their love of classic cinema. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Detective Bullock becomes friends with Robin, and they bond over their shared love of classic cinema? Yeah, and we'll see more of that in um, in the Bullet for Bullock episode, which is just a straight-up recreation of one of, the, one of these old stories. Um, so we see Bullock's apartment, and, yeah, there's a bunch of, like, you know, Italian cinema... Huh. posters on the wall yeah weird um that's an unexpected trait for bullock to have right like that's the thing is and i i think chris sims wrote th- this a while back but like every time dc reboots um bullock loses a bit more of what makes him interesting huh. like he's kind of he's kind of gotten flanderized is it is it flanderized or flandersized stupid sexy flanders <laughs> feels like bullock's eaten nothing but donuts so after, like, in post-crisis, they changed that to Bullock was basically always on Gordon's side, right? There's just tension between him and Batman. Um, pretty, I mean, pretty much if you're watching the series, that's the Bullock you're seeing. Right. Um, so I, let, yeah. me, uh, let me interrupt with another question that's sure. related. So Bullock's been around for a long time. Yeah. Uh, what role does he play... In a well-told Batman story. I think he is the one... Uh, I think he's the one who tempers uh, the cheesy PD's reliance on Batman. Um, because I think it is it is reasonable to say... Um, that, I mean, like I said, he had a... Like, he became friends with Robin, right? Imagine you are... Let's say he's 42, Sure. Sure. Um, and there's a 12-year-old boy in pixie boots um, who is used by this, you know, hulking psychopath <laughs> as a child soldier uh, to fight uh, men who are obsessed with riddles or uh, mustard or playing cards, whatever. Right. Right. Some stupid-ass motif. Uh-huh. Right? How could you not not turn that crazy uh, 
crazy monster man in, right? Like, it, from his perspective, it makes sense. Um, I think what is interesting, and this gets touched on even a little bit, again, bullet for bullet, um, is Batman always nudges against this, like, okay, I'm outside the law, you're in it, and you you still break it, right? Like, Harvey breaks the law. Yeah. Um, like, even in this episode, right, Montoya picks that lock, but, like, she observes a crime happening. Right, right. Right? Um, but Bullock does beat up suspects. He does hit people in inter- interrogations. Um, he does illegally enter places, right? So how much of a leg to stand on does he really have? Fair. I feel like in the real world, a Batman-like figure would not be tolerated by the police at all. Oh, absolutely. No matter how effective he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Batman would be, you know, caught and put into jail. Oh, yeah. Um, Which makes sense. I mean, the in the first episode, uh, All Mother Wings, the police try to do just that. Yeah. But only because they think that he's committing these larcenies. Right. Uh, but yeah. Uh, do you remember uh, a few years ago there was a trend of people putting on costumes and trying to like help the police in like Portland and a few other cities? Uh, yeah, yeah. I did a short. I worked on a documentary about some of those dudes. That's so wild. It was. Ooh, I met a couple of the Chicago guys. They were. One of them was like just a pretty cool dude who like his uh, shtick was just like wearing yellow. Um, it's like, you know, it's like the Watchmen yellow. I'm like, I don't know if you read Watchmen, but I feel like the point is, <laughs> um, but like he just put together like care packages for the homeless. Uh-huh. Um, whereas, uh, this other guy, um, he was basically just doing his like one person white wolf LARP. Uh-huh. Um, but with crime instead of monsters and... It was... Ooh. It's not... I mean, that's Batman or nutshell, though. I mean, but, like, for Batman, the murder clowns do actually exist. Yes. Right? Um, yeah. And then... So there's that. Um, and, yeah, then there was... Uh, now, of course, I forget his name. Anyway, he's in jail now because he started kicking in people's trailer doors with, you know, while brandishing a shotgun. So... Yep. Yep. I think HBO did a... I think it was HBO. There's a pretty okay documentary about real-life superheroes that is worth checking out. Right. So, we know what would happen if somebody actually tried to be Batman. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, so... I'm not sure if I cut you off or not. Was there anything else you wanted to say about the role that Bullock plays in a well-told Batman story? Um. So, a lot of the time, like... All that stuff will get put aside um, if something big happens, right? And since it's, you know, opera, right? Like, big stuff is going to happen. Right. Um, so something that uh, that the Wikipedia article called out specifically, which I got a kick out of because I wanted to mention this as well, is my favorite Bullock moment of all time, uh, is in the uh, Batman story No Man's Land, um, where, in case you don't know, uh, this was a big event around... 97, 98, uh, Gotham gets hit by an earthquake, um, 
it basically like that's where in Dark Knight Rises they get the like the government blows the bridges and just says like okay like Gotham you are now escaped from New York hmm. um, and everyone's like weren't weren't every wasn't everyone in that a criminal though they're like yeah you're in Gotham <laughs> you probably are and if you aren't really what are you doing there um, so when the when the quake first hits. Uh, Bullock gets a piece of rebar stuck through his forearm. Yeah, because you can get away with that shit in comics in '97. Um, and if I'm recalling correctly, and let's say I am, because it's more entertaining this way, he grabs grabs it with his teeth and pulls it out. And you might be asking, what's he gonna? What? Why not pull it out with his other hand? And the answer is, what's he going to do? Set down his donut? <laughs> And again, if I'm wrong, I don't care. I like my version better. <laughs> Great. So, you mentioned a story called A Bullet for Bullock. Yep. My question is, when does Bullock get more of a starring role in the comics, and what are those stories like? Um. So, I would say that, like, now he's pretty much just a bit player like he shows up in you know the first issue of scott snyder's uh batman run right and that's pretty much just like he's the one on the scene who adds a little tension to the scene when batman's investigating a crime uh-huh. right um he's the one who says something snide like oh look like they're gunning for you or you know stuff like that right right um it was really more back in like yeah the 70s and 80s when he had a bit more of a role and you can look at old covers of detective um detective comics and like there he is on the cover with batman kicking ass right like one of the things for detective comics was it's like batman starring in but like the brave and the bold it was very much about like let's cycle uh supporting characters Mm -hmm. through here right so there were plenty of times back then where you know Bullock is on the cover and you know he's he's an important character in that story so it's really again back more in the like when Neil Adams was drawing it and you have these really dynamic compositions um and it's sometimes it's really fun seeing like Batman work with someone who's much more conventional cool so Bullock is kind of like the same shit every time you see him right he, you know, does his his thing, but I never get sick of seeing it. Right? Whenever yeah. books on screen, it's like, ooh, like what is he gonna <laughs> what is he gonna say to, about Batman this time? Yeah. So I want to know, like, what do you think makes him so compelling as like a force on screen? I think again, it's he's the one person who is. I think it's he sort of lampshades the whole thing, right? Um, because when because we know the whole thing is preposterous, right? So in through him, the show admits that a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, that's gratifying for us. Um, but it also gives us permission to project those feelings onto Bullock and lets us enjoy Batman, right? Um, besides the fact that just, like, adding more ten- tension to a scene usually makes it better. better. Yeah. Um, so I think there's that. He's one of the more grounded characters in the series um and he's funny like it's that's the thing is like that single-mindedness sometimes even when you're tempted to roll your eyes and be like okay but didn't batman like just save your life dude um 
it's that same beat of him losing his gun and then pointing at at gangsters and saying you three are under arrest right like he's a dog with a bone and i think like i think that just in storytelling in general we admire uh we admire tenacity uh-huh. right even if it's wrong-headed um stupid whatever um that gets us on the character side yeah and i think a lot of the time he does think he's doing the right thing yeah i mean i think he's very much this um this kind of classic cop character uh, that got handled really well in Fox's Gotham, at least for the first however many, I don't know, season, um, at least for the first season, where, you know, Gordon comes in and he's an idealist, and Bullock is like, we'll get murdered. If we don't take bribes, we get murdered. <laughs> can, can we not, please? <laughs> like... Can we can we do what good we can while not getting like dumped in Gotham Harbor? Yeah. So, bullet contains multitudes. Yeah. Uh, a lot more going on than the casual observer might might think. Right. Uh, and that concludes all of my questions. So, unless you have anything else you want to share about Detective Bullock, I know just that I can, as an addendum to that last question, I can relate to wanting a donut. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Catch us next time. Same battering time, same battering channel. Peace out.